You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. I'm really excited to teach from this passage. It's one of my uh, personal favorites. It's been a big inspiration to me for decades, but before I jump in, I should introduce myself because I know we have some new folks here. Uh, my name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And just want to say we're really glad you're here, particularly if you are someone that's visiting us for the first time. I hope that you are actually greeted with someone very kindly already this morning. I trust that you have. Hospitality is, hospitality is one of our strengths. Um, but we want to let you know, too, that we aim to be a place in a church where you, everyone is welcome, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. So thanks for joining us here this morning. And one other thing I'll do before, uh, before we jump into this passage today is sometimes we'll make like a family announcement. I've got a family announcement that Dakota and Senya got engaged, so you guys can, you guys can stand up and... So be sure to greet them in case you didn't know. Really excited for you guys. Look forward to seeing what God does through you guys. Um, so we are actually wrapping up, like Alice said, uh, pointed to a little bit earlier, we're wrapping up our series called uh, uh, The Kingdom Generosity, where we've been looking at the incredible generosity of God and all that he's given us, and then how we should, in response to his generosity to us, how we should respond back to God, both individually as well as how we should respond to God's generosity as a church. And I'm so excited, like I said, to teach from this passage because that's inspired me for decades, and you'll hear a little story later that it actually helped start the modern missions movement. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to kind of maybe see if I could set the tone here or put the pulse on something that I've experienced, and I'm pretty sure that you've probably experienced too. It's that with these last two years, uh, very difficult years, very divisive years, very tough years with COVID, I think one of the things that's set into most of us, if we're honest, at least in various ways over this last two years, is we've maybe retracted back into what I call like a survival mentality. Have you, have you experienced that somewhat in some ways during this year? Like I know that I have. I've experienced some set like, man, I just need to just try to hang on and survive in all different areas of my life. So odds are that some of you guys have just done just enough to get by at one of your workplaces, at least some of your work. You students, you know, you've maybe gone to survival mode and just done the basics that you could do in your classes uh, no finger pointing here, but when it comes to our health and fitness, we may have said, put things on pause for a little bit while we're sitting in survival mode. Maybe even more importantly, in relationships that we have with people because of this difficult two years, we've maybe grown distant because we separated ourselves from people just wanting to survive. Maybe we've actually stopped serving in our church or serving in our, in our neighborhoods or serving different places because we've just thought, I just need to survive right now. And I want to say, I've experienced that too. Just several months ago, I felt myself in a total survival mode where God really convicted me, where I felt like I had actually been not pursuing my neighbors. One of the things that Brenda and I love to do is pursue our neighbors by hosting parties and getting together with people and trying to make connections and, and see them as the people that we're going to love. And as we talked about last week, bless, we're going to bless our neighbors. And I realized that I had been making excuses for them, thinking, oh, well, they probably don't want to do stuff because of COVID and different cautions and things. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in this area of my life, I've actually kind of shrunk back into survival mode. I've experienced that. I'm sure that you guys have as well. And to some degree, like, it's just kind of normal. Like, this happens when something as crazy has happened the last two years. So I'm not trying to pass any judgment. I think that we have to wrestle with all, all this all the time. And it's somewhat normal because it's normal because we're always thinking, well, once we get past this. But, <laughs> yeah, we've all experienced, like, when, is, when are we going to turn that corner, right? And so survival mode, if not checked and I hope we can check it here today to some degree, can become something that we just find ourselves perpetually in. And so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up a word. My word is going to be thrival. 
And so what I want to do is I want to see us move from survival mode to thrival mode. And I think this passage that we're going to look at today really speaks to that. It talks about going from a desolate place to a place of abundance and the hope that we can have that God can take us from just surviving to actually thriving. So before we jump into, though, I want to give a little context for this passage in Isaiah. You know, we haven't been studying Isaiah, so it's kind of random just to pick a passage and jump into it. So just a little bit of background. Isaiah was a prophet to Israel, to Judah, to the Israelite people, and he spoke for about 50 years speaking to them. And a lot of what he did was he told them that if they didn't repent, judgment was coming, both to them and he spoke to other nations in that way, too. But he also, all along the way through his book, he also pointed to hope, that there would be hope that God could restore the people when they repent and turn to him. So he was a prophet that told of the Assyrian and Babylonian judgments that were going to come against the people of Israel. Yet at the same time, woven throughout the book is this continual idea of God's covenant love of him continuing to pursue his people. And as much as this judgment was coming, there was also promise that was coming. God made promises primarily through what he was going to do through the Messiah, particularly in chapter 53, the chapter before the one we're reading here. So it's called the Suffering Servant Chapter. It's a chapter that prophetically describes the coming of Jesus and how he would bear all of our sin. And then now we're jumping into this next chapter that says it's all based upon chapter 53, which we're actually going to come to at the end, but know that chapter 53 talks about this prophetic suffering Savior that's going to come and take the sin upon the world, upon himself. And upon what he did by doing that, then there's this future kingdom that's coming. And that's what we get in chapter 54. It starts to speak to the kingdom and what it's going to look like when Christ is the one that's ruling, and he's the one that's reigning, and he is the king of his kingdom. And so that's what we're stepping into. 54 in these next couple chapters are telling about what that kingdom is like. One other thing that I'll say before we jump into that actual passage is there's kind of a, 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 one, a couple different ways that you can look at prophecies. So when you're looking at prophecies like this, one of the dances that you have to do is there's kind of a, a not yet component to it that's actually going to be fulfilled in the, in the future coming of Christ, but there's also a now component to it. There's things that this prophecy actually means for us to today. And Orthodox Christians have had different views on whether that's something fulfilled in the church or whether it's just fulfilled in Judah and it's going to be, I mean, Israel's going to have a whole separate thing. I actually believe that both can be true at the same time and it can be a now and a not yet. So whether you believe that or where you are on those lines, the thing that I love about prophecy, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, is that one of the things you get in prophecy that I love is you get a glimpse of God's heart. And God's heart doesn't change. And so no matter where you're at on the spectrum of thinking this prophecy, whether it's for us or for its future generation or like me, that it's both, know that we're going to get a glimpse at God's heart and we know that that never changes. Just two points today should be pretty easy and hopefully memorable. The first one, the first point is to expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Let's read this passage again. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who are never in labor because more are your children than the desolate woman and then of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, remember, he's writing to a people that that time were captive. They were ruled by other nations. They were scattered all around the nations that were ruling them. They're in great distress, they're in great turmoil, great despair, exiled, in isolation. They've lost hope. He's speaking here to barren women and to men in nomadic tents just trying to survive. They were in survival mode. But what does he say? He says to the barren woman, the unmarried woman, sing and burst into song because you are going to have more kids than you know. 
He says to the, the, the nomadic people in the tents, he says, enlarge your tents, lengthen your cords, strengthen them, strengthen your stakes, build out. What he's saying is you guys are going to need a bigger place to live. <laughs> like, God's got something coming here, and you guys need to begin to prepare for it because God is so generous, you can expect great things from, from God. Step out of your survival mode and believe that God can pour out on you abundantly and bless you, even in your barrenness even in your nomadic life. See, Isaiah right here, he's prophesying about the, the coming kingdom that, and this kingdom that now Jesus has brought in because the suffering servant chapter just before, now it ushers in this kingdom where the kingdom of God expands to all peoples. The tents are made wide and long and more people are invited to come and follow Jesus. More people are invited to come into the kingdom and experience the generosity of our good God. Just a passage about thriving and the opportunities that God gives us. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's never a point that God doesn't take us through hard seasons. He does. We've all experienced that. We've been through a hard season many times in our lives, and we have been right here. I'm not trying to, this isn't health wealth. God is just trying to always bless you and give you abundance. That's not what I'm saying. After all, Isaiah's writing this to people who'd be captives for 70 years before receiving the fulfillment of part of this promise. So yes, God does take us through things, but what I want us to embrace and consider today is the abundance of God, that God will take us through hard times, but God equally wants to bless us and give us times of seasons of abundance, of revival, of spiritual renewal, and complete renewal and a movement of God in our midst. He's a God that loves to do that, and he's a God that can do it. And Isaiah is telling the people, put your hope in that. Let's begin to expect God to do great things for us. This place uh, here actually has a very special place in my heart because this was the first church building that I came to in 1991 when I started my freshman year at UT. Back then, it was called First Evangelical Free, first Evangelical Free Church, and that was the place where I came to worship, and I worshiped at that church for 22 years. And during my time there, God did amazing things. One of the things that I love is the history behind that. I know some of you guys heard this a few weeks ago, but I just want to reiterate it again because it's such an amazing history that there was an older, aging uh, church that was meeting here, Swedish background church, just a few dozen people, and they made the very, very bold move to hire a 35-year-old guy who was a college pastor at Westlake Bible Church to come be their pastor. And his very first Sunday in September of 1990, standing right here, the pews filled with people in their regular spots was all of a sudden filled with like 100 college students who followed them over from Westlake Bible to come be a part of this new movement. The incredible faith of people to take that drastic action and call someone and welcome college students to sit where they've been sitting for 50 years and get in their way, like amazing. And the fruit of their generosity in doing that produced so much life. Um, like I said, I was part of that church for 22 years. And that, that college ministry that they had called Echo, just in the gym over here, at the, height, at the height of their ministry, they were having 700 students a week pouring in. They were worshiping in there while the other congregation was worshiping in here. And, and Brent and I were both part of the singles group at that church, which is, you know, three or 400 student, or singles, just a massive movement of singles, which then I can tell you that also led to lots of marriages <laughs> in that ministry. In fact, Brent and I got married right here 20 years ago. What an amazing church. And I witnessed it because I was there and I saw countless friends' lives. I served and I was part of the leadership of that church and saw God do so many things. It was a season of abundance. We don't necessarily know when they're going to come. God does take us through hard times, but we should have great hope that there could be a season of abundance. When I look back at my time in that church, one of the things that I think of is 
What, what, what's a fitting way to describe what God did? I think lengthen your cords, move your tents, burst into song, barren woman. God is doing something amazing. And I want to say that the opportunities that lie before us here right now are amazing in this season. To think that we can work together to have this property be a beacon of light to this neighborhood, to bring God's kingdom here and do all kinds of different things that God might call us to do. What an amazing season. What a great time for us to expect God to do great things. We might expect God to bring more and more college students and raise up more disciples and send people to the nations and send out more missionaries to partner with other churches and other like-minded nonprofits to see this property be all that God wants it to be. It's right for us to expect, expect great things from God. There's at least two reasons why I think I can confidently say we should expect great things from God. There's probably plenty more, but the two that I'll talk about today are one, that we know what God's heart is like. And two, we know that nothing is impossible with God. First, we know what it's God's heart to do. We know what his heart is to do. This is the prophetic promise that we're studying from Isaiah. It does relate to the very end times that God wants to expand his kingdom and lengthen the cords and invite people from all nations to be a part of it. And Jesus told us this was true too. When he was speaking with his disciples, one of the things that he told them when he was talking about the end times that Isaiah was prophesying about, he said this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Like, we know this is what is in his heart to do. He wants to lengthen the stakes. He wants to expand the tent. He wants more people to come and follow him and see their lives transformed from every tribe, every tongue, every language. We know that's what is God's heart to do. Jesus said it was. We don't only just know that it's what is in God's heart to do. We know that he is able to do it because nothing's impossible with God. We can expect great things from God because we know there's nothing that he can't do. I love the way the Apostle Paul described Abraham's faith in a God that could do anything. In Romans chapter 4, he says this, I made you a father of many nations, and he is our father in the sight of God whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. I love that. This is the God who calls life from the dead. He's the resurrection God, and he's a God that calls things that are not as though they were because he can do anything. And Abraham, against all hope, he believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was also dead, a hundred years old. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Abraham knew nothing is impossible with God. I can expect great things from God because nothing is impossible for God. He believed him. He knew that he was the one that could give life to the dead, even a dead womb, even as Isaiah told us, sing, O barren woman, burst into song because of what God is able to do. So I think it's very fitting in light of the generosity of God, knowing what his heart is and knowing that he can do anything, that we expect great things from him, particularly in this season as a church. We should pray very God-sized prayers, things that only God can do, and, and trust and wait in expectation to see what he does. We should expect great things from God right now. And we should also, second point this morning, we should attempt great things for God. I want you to listen to the passage as I read it again, the first three verses anyway. And as I read it, I want you to listen to what they're being asked to do and think about the state that they were in and what they were being asked to do. And you'll see, it means that they had to attempt great things for God. Listen again. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. 
burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tents, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. You hear what he's asking them to do? You understand what kind of great faith that would take to say to the barren woman, I want you to sing. In fact, I want you to burst into song to say to these nomadic people, I want you to lengthen your tents. Like right now, do it in expectation of me to do something. Attempt something great for me. It takes a lot of faith. And we're invited as we expect great things from God to take a really big step of faith because now we're gonna actually try to attempt great things for God and see what he can do. Can you imagine the faith of the barren woman? The barren woman, like, in faith, actually choosing to sing and to burst into song? You know what would be at the heart? The heart would be like, well, I've been disappointed so many times before. You'd wrestle with that doubt, that disappointment. Or you're the nomadic person, and you've got this little tent that you've been moving around in and going from place to place, and you're going to all of a sudden make it bigger and look like a fool. You've experienced failure before, so why, why should I even try? Isaiah is saying to them, like, you need to expect great things from God, and to do that, then you need to attempt great things for God and have faith. I think that God knew that they would fear disappointment, that they would fear failure. He knows our humanity. He knows that's in our hearts, which is why then he strengthens them again on the very next two verses. He reminds them of who he is. He says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Your Redeemer, he is called God of all the earth. God says, I understand that you might fear disappointment. I understand that you might fear failure, but don't be afraid. In fact, I'm going to make you forget all the stuff of the past. I'm going to do something new, as we sang already this morning. He's saying, attempt to do great things for me, because I am God. He points to himself to say, this is the reason why you can take outrageous steps of faith, because I am God. I'm your maker. I'm your husband. I'm your redeemer. I am the God of all the earth. The reason that we can attempt great things for God is because God is with us, and he's the one that has the power to do anything through us. So can we trust him? Yes, we can. Can we take steps of faith attempting to do great things for God in this season? Yes, we should. The two go hand in hand. If we want to expect great things for God, we must also attempt great things for God, which is what we're trying to do right here on this property, in this partnership, and everything that God has for us in the near and the far future. Now, I have to admit that I actually stole this sermon. <laughs> I stole it from uh, a guy that preached it 230 years ago, 230 years ago. It's a guy named William Carey. Uh, William Carey taught from this very same passage of Isaiah 54. These were his two main points 230 years ago. Maybe you've not heard of his name. William Carey actually came to faith uh, as a high school student, and by the time he was 20, he was working full-time as a cobbler, but also uh, part-time as a pastor, bivocationally. And one of the things that God did in his heart is he just, he had this natural kind of excitement about maps and geography, and so he studied it and studied it. He made little maps, and as he started doing that, his heart for missions began to grow, and he realized, like, what are we doing? We're, like, not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not sending people to the nations like we ought and so it started to become a big passion of his, and he was part of the Baptist movement at that time. And at one of the conventions, he tried to tell the, p- the people, like, hey, we need to start a missionary movement. And it was told that the first year that he tried to cast this vision, 
uh, someone had reportedly said to him, uh, you need to be quiet. When God wants to save the heathen, he will do so himself without your help. Undeterred by the terrible <laughs> advice that he received, he continued to seek God and pray and ask for our missions movement because his heart was so profoundly impacted by the thought of people being lost without Jesus. And so he wrote a book, and he distributed it, and he tried to convince people what the Scripture says about how we need to go to all nations, expecting great things from God, attempting great things for God. Books, titles were really long in those days, so here's the name of the book. An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. They also used a little bit different language back then. <laughs> it's basically a strong call to say, what are we doing? Like, we need to go to the people who have not heard. We need to expect great things from God, attempt great things for Him. Well, this book got in circulation, and God used it to start changing hearts of the people within their movement. And so in, in, in 1792, he was actually invited to speak at the Baptist Convention, where he taught from Isaiah 54 and taught these same principles. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And then a movement started. After that sermon, they the, the gathered together and they actually started the very first missionary society that began sending missionaries, and Kerry and his family were among the very first to go. He went to India. I want to challenge us. In this season, let's attempt great things for God. Let's leave our survival mentality and let's move into a thrival mentality, which means that we're going to attempt great things for God during this season. It's time to kind of get off the sidelines if we've been on the sidelines. We need to be part of what God's doing at Midtown Church. We need to seek God for what He wants us to be and what He wants us to do in the future. There's certain things that we're doing right now, and I just want to say, like, let's do it. Let's get on board. Let's attempt some great things for God. Like, we've got in front of you these training huddles. Like, do you want to learn how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did? Then, then yeah, let's, let's give some time to be part of a training huddle that we can be equipped and grow. Education Connection, you just heard about it. How about we impact the school that's just right down the street? Let's minister to some kids and let's bless some kids by reading with them. Let's step into some of the things that we're already doing. If you're not part of a midtown community, like now's the time. Give up a night a week to be in community with others and begin to grow and practice the way of Jesus together. Do like I did. Find conviction to say, oop, I've kind of slipped into survival mode and I'm going to actually start to be intentional and do things with my neighbors again. Let them be the ones to say no instead of assuming a no for me and, and make invitations and try to meet new people. Let's step into what we're already doing. But I want to encourage us too, let's dream together of what yet, what's yet to come. We've got so much that we can dream about. This new partnership is incredible, and there's so many opportunities that are going to go before us. We don't yet know what they are, but we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God, and we're going to have God-sized prayers and see what God does. I don't know what it could be. It could be that we start an alpha course, and we see lots of people come and learn about Jesus for the first time, or maybe we start a recovery ministry. We've got people coming in from different parts of the city that need recovery, and we provide that community for them. Maybe we start, like Josh wants, a basketball ministry. <laughs> we, we play basketball and start. <laughs> yeah. David, David's on board too. Okay, we got two. Okay, you guys just volunteered. <clears throat> Maybe we start something like that, and we just we create opportunities for more and more people to connect and just to think about the different nonprofits and the other churches that we can invite into this space and into this vision for the future. Guys, we want to dream big and attempt great things for God. And I'll say too, just not let this be a side note. Like the fact that we're here and we're doing this and, and this partnership has started, that is attempting something great for God. So hear what I'm saying when I say that. We're not saying that we're not doing it. Like the fact that we're doing what we're doing right now, that's attempting something great for God. It's amazing. 
Let's not fear disappointment or feel fa fear failure. Our God is our maker. Our God is our redeemer. Our God is our husband. Our God is the God of this earth, as he says. Let's not fear. Let's trust God in this new season. As I said before, um, this has kind of got a now and a not yet. That's my conviction that this type of prophecy has kind of a now and a not yet. And I think while there is a not yet physical coming of this kingdom that we're going to see this prophecy fulfilled, I do believe that there's a spiritual coming of this that can be fulfilled among us right now. And I really take that based on things that Jesus told his disciples, things that he told them to do that I know he would call us to do as well. In fact, even one way that Jesus actually told them to expect great things from God. Listen to this passage in John 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus told them to expect not great things, greater things. He told them to expect great things. They, they, they knew that God wanted to use them to do even greater things than they witnessed Jesus do through praying to Jesus who had been risen and would be with the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit whom he gave them through prayer, through the power of the Spirit. He invites us to believe in greater things and to attempt great things for God and see what he could do. What William Carey said at the Baptist Convention 230 years ago, think about that, that that good news has gone to so many nations and so many parts of the world and so many people have come to faith and the kingdom has been tents wide. The tents have stretched out to so many parts of the earth now where people are coming to faith and believing. There's still work to do and we're committed to that. We're gonna keep praying and trying to fulfill Jesus' promise that the gospel would go to every single part of the earth. But just taking a step back and realize 230 years later, the tents have expanded wide. They've expanded to you and me here in Austin, Texas, where God has us right now. We're just called to be stewards. Stewards of what God has given us. That's the generosity of God. And now we get to wait on God and say, what do you have for us? And as we do, let's, let's do it with expectation. And let's attempt some bold and wild things for God. The series is entitled Generous, uh, Kingdom Generosity, and over the last four weeks, we've looked at many ways that God has been generous to us, and we shared how we should respond individually and respond as a church, and I think the one fitting way to respond to God's generosity is to dream big, to pray big, to take steps of faith as we expect great things for God and attempt great things for God. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.